nothing left to know You're listening to Phyla and Fandom, a podcast ran by two furry scientists, your resident zoologist, Dr. Wildlife, and bug lover, me, Nassi. Each week, we'll be exploring the world around us by discussing current topics in our own scientific fields, as well as current happenings in fandom-based subcultures like the furry fandom. Today's date is January 17th, 2022, and this will be episode 10. It sounds... Honestly, it sounds so crazy to one say, this is just episode 10, but now here we are several years in the future in 2022. Yeah. We are um, we are different people now in the world. Most importantly, the world is a very different place than when we last left. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's been chaotic. And I was even like, I was putting up quizzes for one of the classes I'm teaching at the university today. Mm. And uh, I accidentally put 2020 on the, like, when the quiz was released. Yeah. Uh, so nobody could access it. And then somebody emailed me and was like, oh, it's 2022. And I was like, oh, damn it. Oh, no. Your mind was, like, trying to forget all the horrible events of, oh, my God, two, two years. Yeah. Two Going years. On two years of a pandemic. Two years. Uh, it's just like, it's crazy to think about. This past weekend would have been further confusion in California. Yeah. And I remember in 2020, I I don't know if it fell on the same weekend as what it would have this year, um, but it was very close to it, yeah. if not the exact same. Um, so in 2020, I, I was in San Jose. I was partying it up with friends. We were on the party floor with people packed so closely that you were like, your shoulders were touching and we didn't have a care in the world. No, like, no idea yeah. that these two years would be ahead of us like that's terrifying <laughs> yeah no it was like i think the crazy thing to me too is i had just gotten my deer suit for fc and that was my first fc and i wore them there and i like i haven't been able to wear them since like at a convention or anything like that oh my that's true i wonder how many other people are in similar <laughs> I was going to say similar shoes, but similar hoofs as you like. <laughs> oh. And uh, dear listeners, if you haven't guessed, um, we think uh, episode 10 <laughs> would be very great to just be focused on uh, what has happened in the last two years, not only in terms of the podcast and where we've been, but exactly what's been going on in the world around us. Because uh, if you guys... Hopefully you haven't forgotten, but we're in the middle of a, a pandemic still, and yep. it's a crazy world. Crazy things have happened in the last two years, and you guys have been probably wondering where we've been. So this episode is going to answer that, or at least at least you'll hear us ramble for an hour about how we hate COVID, <laughs> which yeah, would be well, just as entertaining. And some cool things that have happened, too. I think the furry fandom especially has adapted well to it. So, Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, for me, um, gosh, yeah, this this may be like this first part of the episode may be a little therapy session for both of us talking oh, about our, our personal life. I 
the big thing that happened to me is I moved to Canada. So we're we're essentially neighbors now, not really. We're still a distance away, but compared to when I lived in Texas, we're we're neighbors now. And for anybody listening, we we are still recording this remotely <laughs> even though we were driving distance from each other, but like that was such a big thing. And I I never would have I mean, I had an idea. I feel like I was going to move to Canada because, you know, my partner being from here. But I went from living in Texas to moving to Canada in like a few weeks time in the fall of 2020. I can't believe you did that during the pandemic, too. That's that's so intense. Oh, gosh, it was it was so crazy. Like I was terrified. I was very terrified of the idea of not only planning a move that was happening so quickly Right. Because like a move in general, it takes a lot of effort, takes so, so much effort. But I wasn't just moving to another city in Texas or back home to Arkansas or even to like any other state. I was moving across a country's borders and it was in the middle of a pandemic. So it was all all amounts of stressful. Somehow I did it. <laughs> you did a good job. Yeah. If I ever write a book, it'll be called Somehow I Did It. Uh, (laughs) And it it will apply to everything in my life. (laughs) Somehow I'm actually, isn't that a Michael Scott book in the office? Somehow I managed. Oh, yeah. I think it is. Oh, gosh. But it, you know, I'm talking about my big move. What would you say? What what was one of your big defining moments of the person, uh, like your personal life in the pandemic? Oh, if you if you could pick one thing that stood out the most and how the pandemic has affected you, Uh I mean, I think for me, I kind of took it as an opportunity to extend a little bit beyond the fandom and SciComm, which was nice. Like, huh. I had a lot of like personal things happen, but it also showed me that I should kind of extend myself and kind of push my confidence into something a little bit bigger. And so I did a lot of like radio shows and little talk shows about like how I was coping with the pandemic as a scientist and my aunts and stuff. But then also through that, I started doing some TV shows and stuff uh, for local networks and that kind of thing, which was a really cool experience, like super awesome. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that was probably the biggest thing is like I, I took it to extend a little bit beyond where I was before, which is a weird thing to happen during the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's that's such an awesome thing to do to try and branch out of the fandom in terms of science communication, because. I mean, just just growing any audience in SciComm, I feel like is such a, a big thing to do. Um a very important thing to do, especially when you're scientists like you and I, where we have <laughs> we have such an entertaining way of going about science communication that it has such a potential if it just reach more people, you know? Yeah. So um, and I love <laughs> I, I remember uh, CBC uh, did an article about you, right? And your aunts and uh, uh, living at home. What, what was that like? <laughs> no, it was. Yeah, it was super interesting. It was like right at the beginning of the pandemic, too, within that first summer. But um, they had gotten word that 
because of all of the issues with my experiments, I had to take all of my ant colonies from my lab and raise them in my house. And so I think just like one of the radio hosts was like, wow, the, like what what is it like living with 200 <laughs> colonies of ants in your basement? And so we were talking about that. And I think like it captured a lot of people's like curiosity. Uh, thinking about how scientists and researchers are coping with how the pandemic has impacted us. Um, and then also beyond that, like we talked about things like how it was impacting the university and how students were feeling and that kind of thing, too. And that was like even just at the beginning. And now it's another year and a half later and we're kind of in no better of a position, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I mean... One thing that I am incredibly jealous of, in a way, is the fact that you were able to bring your work home with you. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when the pandemic first started, I was um, managing the Children's Aquarium at Fair Park in, in Dallas, Texas. And I mean, let, let me take a little step back. I remember it was, it was March and the world hadn't yet come to a stop. People were still, you know, I, I wouldn't say skeptical of COVID, but I don't think people realized how quite bad it was. Cases weren't yet completely skyrocketing. And at the time, I was very hopeful that I would be coming up to Canada for Frontal Equinox to kind of set the time frame for this. Right. And I was at work the day that this happened, but I was at work at the aquarium and um we had an idea that we'd maybe close for a little bit, but we didn't really realize that it would end up being much longer than that. And we got this email from upper management that said, you know, effective immediately, the Dallas Zoo and the Children's Aquarium at Fair Park is going to be closing. Um, and I think at the time, I think it said for a couple of weeks, but effectively the email said anyone that's not direct animal care is going to be working from home, which at the time that was my position. I, I worked with the animals, but it wasn't one of my direct responsibilities because I was a manager. So I did a lot of the big picture things like budgets and handling salt orders for the saltwater tanks or our social media, volunteer management, things like that. So I was deemed as one of the people that could work from home. And you know, at first, I, I feel like a lot of people can relate to this. At first, I was like, oh, boy, I get to work from home like this. I'm going to be in my PJs all day. This is going to be so freaking amazing. And then the weeks went on and the weeks go went on. And for me, being manager of an aquarium and being stuck at home was so tough on me. It was so tough because I felt I felt a little useless when it comes to helping my aquarist, because so much work in an aquarium, of course, is there, you know, with the fish, with with the other animals that live there. And being at home, I was like, I guess I can send emails. <laughs> I guess I can kind of direct things. So I'm, I'm envious that you were able to take your ants home because I couldn't exactly take home a, like, you know, black tip reef shark or a sea turtle, though that would be awesome if I could have was not able yeah <laughs> was not able to and it's funny like i feel like we kind of jumped into the work stuff right away mm. and this is something that i've noticed about the pandemic too is it's so because you're working from home and it's that feeling of like oh yeah i 
I get to work from home. I get to be like doing, be my PJs for my work day or whatever. But then all of a sudden it becomes like, I don't know how to disentangle like what I'm doing for work, but also my like personal time anymore. And like Mm -hmm. this work stuff takes so long because you have to consider so many more things or something comes up and you have to consider it that it just kind of consumes everything. Um, And it's funny too, like, it was nice that I was able to bring the ants home, but I didn't have a lab to do the experiments that I needed. I couldn't keep all of the like poisonous chemicals that I needed to use like in my home. Mm-hmm. So I had actually just in 2020, I was planning for my last round of experiments, like before I was going to graduate with my PhD. And I had this huge summer lined up. I had four students that I was going to hire and have on with me. And then the pandemic hit and I couldn't do the experiments anymore. And I'm only just getting to do the experiments now. Um, And I was telling you like a week ago or so that I was sitting at home just before the Christmas break. And I got an email that was like, Oh, you're entering your fifth year of your PhD. We need to have a work study plan so you can prove that you're on your way out. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like, I can't believe it's been this long. I can't believe I'm past when I was supposed to be graduating at this point. Like, it doesn't feel like uh, I did what I wanted to do. And I mean, I haven't yet. Um, Mm -hmm. I've added a bunch of stuff, too, in the meantime. But like, it's still it's it's just it's crazy. And that first summer, especially, was just kind of complete limbo. Like, what, what do you do? And nobody knows what you can or can't do. Like, people didn't know if you could do field work, if you could uh, do lab work, you had to just stay at home. And it was literally like four months of just floating. It was just Mm -hmm. so weird. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) I I do find it funny. Um, and people that are listening to this, our plan was that the first section of, of this first episode, we talk about personal life and, um, you know, they, they brought up a good point that I'm like, hey, let's talk about personal life. And then both of us are like, work, 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 work. The line is so blurred between work and personal life because of the pandemic. Um, it's so, so blurred. And with my new job working for Zoo Life, that line being blurred isn't as stressful as it was when I was working in the zoo world, thankfully. Like, I have, um, you know, I, when I work for Zoo Life, I'm, I'm doing directly what I'm passionate about, which is science communication. So it's, um, you know, it's not a bad thing, but it's funny. You know, if people asked you in the past, how's your personal life doing? I doubt that the majority of people, us included, would be like, oh, let's talk about work. You know, like that that's a thing that the pandemic has born. And I think it it absolutely does come from being stuck at home, whether you were doing your work at home or you're just stuck at home outside of work. Like you go to work, but you can't do anything else because of the pandemic. And I can definitely feel that. I feel like it has um, led to a lot of burnout for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. A lot of burnout. And I have I felt that so hard in my last job where I'd come home and I was just so, so exhausted. And one of the worst things is that I was so exhausted that I didn't want to do anything other than go to work and come home from work. And in some ways, you know, that that starts affecting your other relationships that you have outside of work, whether it's your partner or your friends or just like doing 
science communication as a hobby. I didn't have energy for any of that, really. And it was starting to really affect my mental health. So I'm thankful now that I'm in a much better spot. Um, Very happy with with where I am, with zoo life. Um, Love everything about it. It just, overall, we're all still stuck at home even if we don't have at home jobs and it's crazy to think that it has been two years of this (laughs) and still real, no true ending in sight, really. (laughs) Yeah. It just keeps going. And I mean, part of that for me right now is, uh, I like was able to get a break and see my family for the first time in three years this past Christmas. Uh, and then like, as soon as we got back, totally fine. Everything was okay. We uh, went to visit David's family after for New Year's. Mm. And then I get home and we go to get our boosters. And while we're getting the booster, we got exposed to COVID and caught COVID. And then that extended into the work stuff because because of how bad the current wave is, like we're teaching virtually right now. And we're like trying to extend back from the lab work and that kind of thing. So I was hoping to get back into the lab and do those experiments already, but it's already delayed a couple of weeks because of COVID and then everything being virtual. So it's like, it just kind of feels like it's, it's still going and it's, uh, it's, it's frustrating at that, this point. And like the burnout is real. Like um, last summer, I got super swamped with work. Like I was enjoying doing little TikTok videos and posting them um, at the beginning of, or or at the end of uh, the winter at least. Mm -hmm. And then like getting into the summer, all of a sudden, like there was just a bunch of work I could suddenly do. And it just super overwhelmed me. I had a, finally was able to get a couple of students. So we took those on and I just couldn't handle doing the like, videos and the sci-com for the fandom stuff during that summer on the same at the same time as doing some of those tv shows and stuff like that too so i like i don't know it it felt really bad but i didn't log into my um main twitter without feeling bad and so i i don't think i even touched it for four months straight like and i it it made me like it's sad because it disconnected me from the fandom in a way that i hadn't been in like probably 15 years Mm -hmm. and like, and that sucked. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm really glad we started up the podcast again is I was doing streaming and stuff last semester, but it feels nice to do something that we were doing before the pandemic and feels a little bit more connected to that old psychom, which is good. Yeah. It's bringing us back a little bit to who we were before the pandemic, Yeah, (laughs) which, yeah, I haven't thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Um, It's nice. It's nice in a lot of ways, not just that, to get back to the podcast. I always enjoyed chatting with you about things. And I, I know people that listen in to this um, really enjoy our, our insight into topics. And it just, it feels way more personable than a tweet, in in my opinion, um, because you're hearing us raw, unfiltered. Just yeah. kidding. We, we, may, we may add some filters because of noise in the background, but mostly unfiltered. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're not we're not censoring ourselves when we're chatting. This this is both of our authentic selves as we're talking, um, and it feels nice because in a way you could say these are like little vent sessions amongst friends with an educational spin to mm-hmm. them. So um, 
yeah, it, it definitely feels great getting back into this. And I think it also is nice to do science communication outside of work because with the pandemic, work has been so heavy on, on both of us um, or everybody, everybody that's listening into this as well. Um, the pandemic has affected everything that we do in terms of work. I know for me personally, I had such a hard time because when I was working in Dallas, I was cut off from my partner um, the with the border closure because Aerie, of course, is I think most of you that are listening in, into this know Aerie is my partner. Aerie is Canadian. And when the border closed, I didn't have any clue on when I was going to see them again. But on top of that, the aquarium I managed closed. And the zoo that directly manages that aquarium also closed. And we were closed for, for several months to the point that we didn't reopen until um, like the end of May, early June of uh, the summer of 2020. And by that time, the aquarium had suffered so many financial losses that we just didn't know when it was going to reopen, if ever. That's the thing, if ever. No one could tell us if we would ever open again. And I wish I could say that... That was a unique thing, a very unique situation. But there were so many zoos and aquariums that really um, the pandemic hit so hard. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about in terms of what the pandemic has done. You know, we're, we're so focused on thinking about cases, which is very important. You know, it's na it's natural to focus on the people and it is very important to focus on the people. And then I think the next thing that people think about is like your small mom and pop shops, like how, how business was affected there and how they're closed and, and never able to return. But one of the topics that not enough people are talking about is how it affected the zoo and aquarium world. I mean, we had, we had like the world-class Vancouver Aquarium um, fighting bankruptcy. And... Before the pandemic, who would have thought, right? Like, who would have thought that was ever going to happen? But there was a time in 2020, even into 2021, that the world thought the Vancouver Aquarium would just simply cease to exist. And I think that's terrifying. <laughs> I like, agree. Like, how terrifying, like, one of the most world-renowned world living museums, you could say, was just going to be not existing anymore. Oh, and it... It's completely insane. And then on your hand, you know, I'm sure like as a PhD student and someone that's doing research, the idea that all these universities are just like closing down and reopening and closing down and reopening, that has to be so stressful. Like, oh, oh yeah, it's stressful and hard. It was a weird place in Ontario, especially, mm -hmm. is like there were some universities that were in the same position that you're talking about with like, appearing to go like bankrupt or like going bankrupt. And then there were others that were reporting that like we would be in a really critical place. But when they reported numbers, they were doing pretty well at the end of the pandemic. And that's because some of the resources were closed that they had to fund before. Yeah. Uh, but they had the same student bodies. It was, it's such a weird variable space within research, but on top of all of that, like you still have the students that are struggling so much with the ups and downs. Um, one of the issues that I had with the University of Guelph and they handled it pretty well and the faculty handled it pretty well. But I think like the partial in-person slash virtual stuff 
was really tough, where it was like part of the semester would be virtual, and then the wave would dive down, uh, die down, and they would be like, okay, we're going to go back for a little bit, and it just was such a confusing spot for students, especially uh, like how to plan around that, how to deal with that. And for graduate students that were planning research, we had to do like research management plans and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, actually actively plan out where we were going to be at all times, how many students we would have active with us, who was all involved with the labs and keeping track about all of that and every single student doing that, which is usually like a supervisor's job. It just such a turbulent place of roles and that kind of thing. Yeah. And to me, I keep talking about zoos and aquariums, but um, they, there was museums that were also struggling too. I mean, the, the museum in Boston, um, the Natural History Museum there, had to lay off like a whole bunch of people, people that had been there for, for several years and no one really knew, okay, Will I be able to come back or have I completely lost my job? You know, what's my future look like? And it's especially difficult for people in like my line of work, as well as yours, that your whole career is focused on that. Everything about it has been focused on what you are, what are you, what you are doing at that zoo, aquarium or museum. And for a lot of people, those skills aren't easily translatable to positions outside of that field. So it was a, a very terrifying thing. Very, very terrifying. And then it comes to mind like, okay, if an aquarium or zoo closes, what happens to the animals? Well, what happens to them? And that especially hits home to me because when I worked for the children's aquarium, which... If anybody's getting really sad hearing all this, I, I just want to report that the Children's Aquarium was able to be saved. It's it's currently reopened under um, new management, the same people who manage the St. Louis Aquarium. So all the animals are good. The staff are good. And uh, they're actually hiring right now, which is great. And the same thing can be said for the Vancouver Aquarium. So I just want to say that it sounds like a lot of doom and gloom, uh, but there are happy stories out there, which is great. But unfortunately, um, you know, we we had already started moving animals out before word had gotten that we would be saved because with hundreds of animals you can't wait until the last second to start sending animals to new homes especially because you want to find good homes for them you don't want to just say hey who wants this shark <laughs> who hey who wants this sea turtle hey who wants this caiman lizard you have to find good accredited homes for them and it and it takes time especially when you have a whole aquarium shutting down you know we we had whole habitats full of fish it wasn't just a matter of hey can you take 10 fish it was like hey could you take hundreds of this fish mm -hmm. or this group of fish could you take this whole reef system could you take these corals and it, it takes a lot and we were we were lucky that there were uh, a lot of people that, and I say people, it was it was accredited facilities, um, but a lot of those that were stepping up saying, hey, we're going to help you figure out something these animals will be cared for. And, you know, we've heard publicly about that happening to the Children's Aquarium, the Vancouver Aquarium, um, Alaska Sea Life Center was another one. But I'm sure there's countless others that, I just haven't seen the news articles about or ones that didn't get enough media attention attention to have articles written about them. So we never we never heard about it. And, and I do recall, though, that there were some zoos, as in non-aquariums, that were um, calling to the public to help them feed their animals because they had no income. They had no uh. one coming in and their food bills were getting 
so high. Food is one of the, you know, the biggest cost um, in a zoo. And I remember seeing several zoos in Canada, the U.S., and way over in the U.K. who were all pleading with the public to make donations because their bills were getting so high. And I, I don't recall any animals suffering because of that. You know, zoos just footed the bill, um, went up because of it in a lot of ways. So no animals suffered, just to clarify. But it's terrifying. You you never want to be in that position for a zoo. You, you never want to be in that position. Um, and one thing that just resonates in my mind is thinking about what the public loses if we lose some of those zoos and aquariums, even just one or two. You know, there's people that would go to the children's aquarium who were low-income families, and the children's aquarium was their only connection to the ocean. They would never be able to afford to visit the ocean in person. They couldn't afford to go to any of the neighboring zoos or museums because the admission cost was too high, and the children's aquarium was their one connection to wildlife, specifically ocean wildlife. It was heartbreaking for me. I I know I, I spent a lot of nights in tears over it. And I, I talked to you about it, about how sad I was, <laughs> yeah, how terrible it was. And, you know, here I am sounding depressed over it. And ultimately everything was saved. It all worked out in the end, but in 2020, we didn't, we didn't know that that was going to happen. We didn't know that was going to happen. And that's so, as I keep saying, so terrifying. <laughs> it's the best way to describe 2020 to me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's tough. And like, it, it, it's it's kind of also amazing how people have adapted to the situation. Mm-hmm. Like there's a couple of classes at the University of Guelph that um, some profs I know uh, were teaching. One of them was the invertebrate class and they came up with some really cool ways to get the students continually engaged. Mm-hmm. Like um, one of them is doing like a, Sorry for interruptions. I have a puppy on my lap. That is one thing that the pandemic brought us is <laughs> a puppy in our lives. Uh, she's a year old now. But uh-huh. uh, as I was saying, like there's they were doing like this baking competition and giving students like cricket flour and having students post <laughs> pictures of their best creations their best baked goods and that kind of thing throughout the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, while they were taking the course, which is a really cool way of adapting to it. And like actively going out and sending all those packages and stuff takes a lot of effort, but they put that effort in. Um, And so I think like some people in that regard have adapted pretty well, but I also think that furries have adapted pretty well to the pandemic. It has stopped a lot of our traditional ways of connecting with the fandom, but Mm -hmm. because we were a largely an internet based culture anyways, like there have been some cool new technologies that we've been taking advantage of and like have done it pretty successfully. Yeah. I mean, you and I hosted a panel in virtual reality. Oh, I still, still... <laughs> Yeah, oh, we were about to say gosh. the exact same yeah. thing. I still can't get over that. That was so crazy. That was so crazy. And you guys, you're probably like, why are they reacting like that? It was probably just like Zoom. No. Ferality, look it up. If you don't know what ferality is, look it up right now as you're listening to this. Ferality is a VR chat based uh, furry convention, though honestly, I've met non furries that were there too. 
which was really awesome. But at its core, it's a it's a online furry convention. And I'm not just talking, you know, MFF made a virtual con or, or FC made a virtual con. This this convention only exists in the virtual world. And my gosh, the team that is behind Ferality is a whole bunch of geniuses. Like they are they are geniuses. We got in there for our panel and they had a like a back of stage that yeah. we could go to like you were in person and no one in the audience could hear it or see it. Yeah. And then they were able to talk to us secretly in our in our little ears like we were wearing headsets. We I were just, just like, <laughs> And then like the thing that blew me away too was how well the stage and like the um the like stadium kind of area where people could sit translated you could have the powerpoint like actively presenting yeah. like you would be at a conference or something yeah. like that like the production value of that one talk we gave was better than any science conference <laughs> i've been to for any of the talks and it just was mind-blowing i i have told many many scientists Same. like about that like i was like this is how you adapt to the pandemic it was perfect even even other furries like that either attended virality or have attended other virtual cons or just have been in vr chat in general like i've talked about this and i'm like did you guys know they had a back of stage and they were able to communicate with us secretly in our little ears and you couldn't hear it and and i haven't even mentioned this yet the Q&A portion of the panel. So people were able to listen and um, to us the entire time. They were actually in the world with us. And you may be thinking, well, that must have been chaos. People yelling over you and such. But no, somehow, Ferality had muted the audience. And we could only hear people if they came up to the stage and queued in a line for a Q&A and stood in front of what was essentially the Q&A microphone. Yeah. And when they stood there, they were unmuted. And then they when they sat back down, they were muted again. And that was without any effort on the part of the the ferality attendee. And I tell people about this and they don't even realize that all of this went on behind the scenes for ferality. And like I all the VR chat conventions, whether it has been things like um, Fernal Equinox doing a completely uh, virtual con alongside CozyCon um, or any of the others that have happened. All of those have been awesome, but Ferality took it to the whole next level. And I may sound like I'm like a little fanboy, fangirl, fan them. Um, <laughs> I was like struggling. I was like, what's a gender neutral Fandy. term? F- Fandy, fan them. Um, but it was nuts. And it's funny. You guys are probably like, oh, they're just freaking out because they're not in front of the Ferality people. No, we took, I think we started our panel just ever so slightly late because we were just geeking out over the whole setup. It was nuts. Furries? Furries are literally the most adaptable group of people on the entire planet, hands down. There's there's none other. No comparison. Yeah, VR chat in general was just like such a cool blessing throughout the pandemic. It introduced a really unique way of connecting with people again and that ferality talk was the first time that i truly felt like i was back at a convention like it didn't Mm -hmm. feel much of course there is differences but it didn't feel much different to me it was like being right there which is a really cool thing and vr chat being able to do that and still being able to connect with people and like express yourself in the fandom is a really cool thing yes and 
just VR chat in general has honestly been such a blessing. I I haven't used it a lot lately, and I, I think I owe that to things slowly starting to get back to what we call the new normal, like MFF happened. Um, you know, I, I visited some friends for New Year's with testing before and after, and I visited, a, you know, occasionally I would see friends here in Toronto just very briefly, but... Um, just any of those things has kind of got me out of VR a little bit, but with Omicron back, um, I'm once again finding myself in VR chat. But back in 2020, everybody was getting headsets, and I was like, you know what, that seems kind of neat, but I think I'll just keep doing desktop. And then more and more people got headsets, and I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, may, maybe I'll get one. And the next thing I know, I have a full body rig. <laughs> and I'm in it. And I remember being in tears a few times because it was the only way I could see my friends. And I'm not talking like, you know, D- Discord's awesome. I, I want to give props to Discord too. Discord has been amazing for staying connected with others and having game nights. But there's just something about being in VR chat. And especially if your friend has a full body rig, seeing them move and they're there. Like, it's such a phantom sensation. It feels like they're literally right there with you. And I can't I can't be thankful or, like, express my thanks enough for what VR chat has done for my mental health over the pandemic. And, of course, you know, there's Neos VR as well. I personally haven't, haven't played it as much as VR chat, but I know there's a whole dedicated team behind that and a whole group of furries that have relied on that during the pandemic. Both of those platforms, where would we be without them? Honestly, the pandemic yeah. would have been or would still be way more difficult without either of those hands down. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I think regardless, it, even if it was just hanging out with friends, VR chat has made it possible to still have conventions. You know, we were just ranting about um about ferality, but there's been several cons that have put on at least virtual DJ sets. There were some further confusion worlds this past weekend. I, I didn't really hop into them that much. I, I just briefly heard about them, but they had the DJ sets streaming on Twitch and then they put that into VR chat and people were hanging out. Because even here in 2022, we are still seeing conventions cancel. Not as frequently as back in 2020, uh, but it's still happening. And honestly, it sounds silly to say that's terrifying. I I know that's my tagline for this whole episode. That's terrifying. (laughs) Um, It just it started really hitting home when conventions started being canceled. Like to have a furry convention canceled, you're like, oh, shit must be real. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, most importantly, Fernal Equinox canceled like two days. I think a day or two before I was supposed to fly here, fly up to Toronto. Right. It, that was heartbreaking. That was heartbreaking. But all the other conventions canceling, it's like it's like getting stabbed in the wound. It's like, okay, well, this one canceled, but maybe this one won't. And then ultimately they did. And then it kept going like like little dominoes. Yeah, Continue. well, especially last fall for me felt like that because they were going on, but I kept having things pop up that are pand- pandemic related that I couldn't like get to them. So I was like, oh, I'll plan uh, like BLFC. Oh, no. Like something came up. I'll plan MFF. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Something came up and it just kept happening. And then, of course, FC, like I planned uh, for a long time and then 
like Omicron getting COVID and it canceled. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, yeah, it's been, it's been a rough time. But I will say that even in the scariest parts of this pandemic, there's been, there's been a little bit of beacon of light out there. And it's, it's not only been my friends, um, just, hanging out with me in VR chat and discord and such, but it's also been uh, my friend Chise or Sailor Roo Scout mm-hmm. posting so many positive things or at least educational things that take the scary out of the pandemic. Yeah, um, so good. They, you know, I'm a scientist and I, I understand a, a lot that is being posted about COVID, but sometimes there's just so much. And especially with the media, it's a lot of fear mongering. So, it's been so nice to be able to go to her account and look and be like, you know, wh- what did she post about this new variant? What did she post about this new re- regulations? And it has ma- helped me breathe a sigh of relief. Even if it has meant, okay, we're going into another lockdown. Like seeing her post about this and say, you know, like, oh, well, this new variant isn't as bad as the media is making it out to be. Or, yes, it, it's not great, but we're going to get through it. Coming from somebody that works on the vaccine and has so much knowledge of um, the coronavirus itself made me feel so much more at ease. Even if it was bad news, she always finds a way to say it in a good way, I feel like. Yeah, and just, like, interpret it well. Like, I actually have shared quite a few of her posts not even just with furry friends, but like yeah. abroad to family and that kind of thing, because it just shares the raw data in a really well presented way and then mm-hmm. interprets it in a like really concise fashion while also li- linking to the source material. And like, that's, yeah. a, that's so awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, a little beacon of light. I've, I've sent, um, her tweets to people in my personal life, whether it was coworkers or family members that were skeptics of the vaccine. I'm not saying that they were anti-vaxxers. They were, they were just unsure. And I think that's something, something that people need to find a way to be, what's the best way to put this a little bit nicer about, because when the vaccines first started coming out, there was people that were worried about the vaccine that were still very supportive of science and very well-meaning, but they needed a little bit of reassurance. And I think that's a thing where science communicators need to learn to be a little kinder um, mm-hmm. and a little bit more easygoing because not everybody that shows skepticism is a bad person or is against regulations, you know? They just need yeah. a little bit of, you know, they, they need their hand to be held and they need uh, a guiding voice. And I think Chise has has been that for a lot of people. And, you know, this is like a little to say, um, fan cam podcast session here. Yeah. We're just like, <laughs> maybe well, I'm a little biased cause I'm friends. <laughs> no, I but get honestly. it. And like, even with me, like one of the biggest things at the beginning of the pandemic and is I knew that we were going to need to get shots and like, I had done quite a few Twitch streams just saying like how terrified I was because like injections was one of my biggest phobias. Mm -hmm. Like I growing up, anytime I need to get one in school and stuff like that, I needed to like either be taken out of school or like put in a separate room and everybody just knew like I was screaming, screaming and crying and everything like that. 
Um, and it just like it's followed me throughout my life. But because of the pandemic, I've actually gotten over it. And part of that is like reading good information and well-presented stuff, mm-hmm. kind of coming to terms with the fact that I was I needed to get it. And I knew I needed to get it. Um, and then at the same time, doing other exercises and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that is also something that speaks to like the general public is if you are already a little bit skeptical, like you're a little bit fearful that it came out so fast. And then you're also like afraid of the needles or something like that. Like it can be tough. And so you need a guiding hand, something a little bit kinder and gentler to like ease you through that. And like Chai's was a really great resource for that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about negative things that have like popped up during the pandemic but ultimately i i think there have been a lot of positives that have come out of this um one of those being we've seen wonderful science communication science communicators like her bloom uh you know really really reach and impact a wide variety of people um whether you chose to or not, it helped you overcome that, um, you know, and get and start to be a little bit more comfortable with injections. For me, it helped me get a lot closer to my friends and be more appreciative for my friends. And I think it's important to recognize those positive things, um, despite all the gloom that is around us. There have been some good things that have come out of this pandemic, they may be small in comparison to all the negatives, but they are something. And I think it's important to think about those. Um, yeah. And carry not, them with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say once again, I'm, I'm so thankful to be back doing this podcast again with you. Um, yeah, and, same. and everybody listening in, uh, so happy that we are both here to create for you all again. It feels great to be doing this. And I know we ranted for for some time about certain topics, but there's been a lot on our minds uh, collectively. And I'm sure everybody that's listening in, too, was curious about what's been going on with this. But now that that's out of our system, it was like cathartic in a way, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> Let's just get this out. Uh being back doing this podcast is such a breath of fresh air. As you were saying earlier, it's like getting back to what we used to be, getting back to being somewhat normal and hopefully hopefully this podcast is a sign of good things to come not only for the podcast itself but for our lives in general back to getting to normal (laughs) yeah hoping that this is kind of the last big stretch and we'll get through it together and we'll also like just bring you back connected to some of the cool people in the fandom and like outside of it too Mm -hmm. absolutely And I want to send some big thanks to our followers on Twitter, uh, Patreon, and Discord that have stuck with us throughout all of this. I am all of our patrons have stayed on since our last last podcast recording. Um, It's so great to see that all of you are still here, ready to go, ready to support whenever episodes start coming back. And for everybody that's been anxiously waiting on Twitter for us to post again about podcast episodes, thank you for being patient with us. I know it's been some time, but we're very hopeful that we'll be back into this at a regular rhythm. Uh, The current plan is to record every two weeks. Um, I'm sure if things work out and we realize that it is not as heavy of a load to record episodes as uh, we think it is, it may turn back into a weekly thing. But right now, we're just taking it nice and easy to make sure that we can do it on a regular schedule. So you can expect an uh, 
an episode from us at least every two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So all that being said, we've been ranting about the pandemic. Let's get back to one more normal section of the podcast. And that is our guess who? <laughs> oh my gosh, I haven't said this phrase in a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so guess who uh, is our weekly trivia questions where we play an animal vocalization. You have to guess the species. Participants will have one week to get their answers in by emailing us at phylaandfandom at gmail.com. The first to get the correct answer will get a shout out in the following week's podcast when the answer is revealed. So here is this week's vocalization. So that was this week's vocalization. Once again, participants, you have one week to get your answer in on what you think that was from by emailing us at phylaandfandom at gmail.com. Well, everybody, we made it through Episode 10. We Ten. did it. <laughs> finally. <laughs> we finally, two years later. It's kind of like the two hours later from SpongeBob, but two years yeah. later. Oh, we did it. As yeah. always, you guys, we rely exclusively on support through Patreon. If you would like to support this podcast, if you enjoy it, you want to see more of it, you want to see us get more guests on or do things more frequently, be sure, be sure to support us on Patreon. That is www.patreon.com slash Phyla and Fandom. You can also follow us on Twitter underneath the same name. If you're looking for me, Dr. Wildlife, I'm literally on every social media platform underneath that name very easy to find and nasty where can they find you you can find me on pretty much everything under entobird perfect we see easy easy to find easy. us easy. <laughs> well that's it for episode 10 thank you guys for tuning in we sure missed you and we look forward to seeing you in episode 11 see you next time bye